0: now let's go into tonight's teaching tonight's preaching we're going to be going into the book of philippians part two if you don't know and you're brand new maybe you don't know this we are on an endless journey and hopefully it's not endless to preach the entire New Testament, every single verse, on live stream has to be on live stream, and it has to be the entire New Testament. If you don't know, we've done Book of Revelation, every verse. We've done the Book of Acts, every verse. We've done the Book of Romans, every verse. We've done the Book of Ephesians, every verse, and they're all on the channel. And right now, we are in the Book of Philippians. We're in part two. Ten years before Paul wrote this letter, which is the Book of Philippians, he visited the town of Philippi on a second missionary journey. This was around 8052. That's 52 years after Christ, not 8052 a d 52 acts 16 tells us the whole story of what happened there you look at the girl that got delivered you see the revival that breaks out that all happened in philippi and so tonight be excited about it if you got kicked off on youtube join back in unfortunately 600 people just got kicked off but be excited i would encourage you Make these Bible study nights, make these preaching nights, a night where you get friends and family together, get some snacks, get some coffee, get your Bibles out, get your highlighter out and go verse by verse. Make it a thing. Hey, Monday night, come over. We're gonna watch the stream together. We're gonna go verse by verse. We're gonna talk as I'm preaching. You talk about your revelation, what God has given you. Make this an exciting, maybe you can meet at the church and do this. Make it a Bible study format. Don't take it lightly. I believe the word of God is gonna transform you tonight. And so be excited about that. I'm gonna give you chapter one recap. We only got through one chapter tonight. We got to get through two chapters Okay, we can't be doing one chapter per week because it'll take us ten years to get through it but tonight I want a chapter one recap, okay? We know Paul has a special place in his heart for the people in Philippi. He wants them to know they're loved and he specifically tells them he prayed for them. He said, every time I pray, I pray for you guys. So he made that clear. He assured them that God was working in them and that he desired for them to grow. He said, listen, we're all a work in progress, but God is working in us. The most important thing that Paul's goal was, was to share Jesus's love and make the free gift of salvation known to everyone even as at the expense of his own persecution. Paul didn't really care about what people's motives were when they were preaching. He just wanted Jesus preached. So the point was, if you have the wrong motives, you're a fake preacher with the right message, oh well, at least the gospel is being preached. Now, if you have the wrong message, he says, let there be a curse on you. But if you have the right message with the wrong motives, God uses fake preachers. That was last week. Paul then goes on to talk about, how he's torn between two desires. One desire is I want to go be with God in eternity. The other, what is going on here on YouTube? Everybody's getting kicked off here on YouTube. Lord, help us please tonight. We just lost a thousand people on YouTube. I know I'm dropping frames here. If you're getting kicked, just come back in. I'm praying that this does not go out. Pray for the broadcast guys. We just lost a thousand people on YouTube. I'll try to stall for just a minute while you guys get back on, but refresh, refresh, refresh. Unfortunately, when people get kicked out, they usually just don't come back. And we just went from 2100 to 1300 so i'm just praying that this doesn't drop out lord please help us come on guys pray lord please help us keep this wi-fi the devil is a liar we come against his plans in jesus name okay so paul's torn between these two desires one desire is to be in heaven the other desire is to be on earth and to help others and then lastly he says this all of us experience strife we all experience persecution it should not surprise us the trial shouldn't stop us or overwhelm us but instead we need to stay unified and the enemies of the gospel will not be victorious in defeating the church the devil is a liar the devil cannot stop you from sharing your faith he cannot stop you from evangelizing okay 300 came back come back come back please help please help come back we appreciate you guys so now in jesus name we are going into the philippians chapter 2 if you have your bible new king james version i'm just stalling for a second while you guys load back in we are in philippians chapter 2 get your bibles out and we're going to go through this verse by verse i'm going to give you my take some nuggets here and we will go on and we pray that we stay on we're in chapter 2. new king james version philippians chapter 2. philippians 2 chapter 2 verse 1 therefore if there's any consolation in christ if any comfort of love if any fellowship of the spirit if any affection and mercy so paul is going to encourage his readers to be selfless or like minded and he begins setting the stage with continuing on the ending thought of chapter one and he says in effect i've called you to spiritual unity with other believers now i'm not just going to call you to spiritual unity i'm going to tell you why you can have that unity and why you should have that unity and he lists four reasons for being unified and he says that they will carry those out and he'll be filled with joy if you carry out unity we need unity here's the four reasons consolation or comfort from being united in christ so when we're unified there's something comforting knowing that we're all together in christ like right now here's the comforting thing Wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, we are comforted and we have unity together. We're all unified in Christ. It's why we can feel like brothers and sisters, even though we've never met. It's why a random person could pick me up from the airport and drive me to a church I've never been to, meet people I've never sat with, and it's like we've known each other forever. Forever. There is a bond of unity in Christ, and there's something extremely comforting knowing my family might not be there for me. Come on, chat. Where are you at? Type one in the chat if you're hearing me. My family might not be there for me. My friends might not be there for me. My husband, my wife, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my coworkers. They might, I, I might feel isolated or alone, but I have brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm unified in Christ. So that's one. Number two, comfort from the love of God. Paul says we're comforted from God's love number three fellowship of the Holy Spirit since every believer has the Holy Spirit there's no need to compete the Holy Spirit's fellowship unifies us and we're unified by the Holy Spirit in each one of us I have the Holy Spirit you have the Holy Spirit and we are unified together in the power of the Holy Spirit also fellowship of the Holy Spirit okay we have the fellowship we have the unity affection and mercy which Paul says we have because of God's Spirit and God's love these are all benefits of being unified together. These are all things Paul says, comfort of love, fellowship of the spirit, affection, mercy. These are things we have as we're unified. Philippians 2.2, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Listen to what he says here, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. This is the plea, the desire that Paul has for the church is that we would not be yelling at each other, calling each other heretics and debating and arguing on live stream, but we'd be like-minded having the same love, being of one of and being of one mind. So he says the reasons for unity in verse one, and then verse two, the results of their unity is like-mindedness. That means thinking the same way. Each person will obviously see life from God's perspective rather than from an earthly perspective. So we could all agree on this. We could all agree on hot topic issues that the Bible speaks clearly on, like marriage, like being pro-life i I gotta careful to say certain words because the video get flagged don't have a dumb little banner down here but these issues that we all can be like-minded on because the bible and the spirit unifies us why because all of us in the chat here if you're christian see life from god's perspective this is what unifies us we're not looking at it from an earthly perspective we are looking at it from god's perspective and that produces unity in us we're all seeing it and that's like-mindedness not that we're all robots but we're like-minded and then love Each believer will want what is best for his brother or sister in Christ. So there is love. The result of unity is having the same love. Okay. Of one accord. That means we don't disagree. Being willing to change if you're wrong about the way you think because the Bible says something different than what you believe. If I believe one thing and I'm trying to keep it simple and the Bible says something different, 100% of the time I'm wrong and the Bible's right isaiah saldivar is never right over the bible if the bible says one thing i believe another thing the bible's right i'm wrong and so of being one of accord is we don't disagree because we're all following the bible and then of being one mind that's wanting the same thing wanting god's purpose to be revealed and to be fulfilled now paul is not saying there will never be disagreements or differences of opinion unity and uniformity are not the same things okay we, with unity, we regard others as being on the same side instead of being enemies. We have the same goals. With uniformity, no one is different. So we're not trying to have uniformity where we're all the same. We're trying to have unity. That means this, okay? If I believe one thing and you believe another thing and it's not salvific, meaning it's not a salvation issue, you're not my enemy, Okay, we don't make YouTube videos on you saying you're a heretic because you don't think what I think about the Bible. We're not enemies. We're still on the same team. We still have the same goal. We just have a different opinion. We just regard things as different. So we're, we still have unity, but not uniformity. Uniformity says we're all the same. You can't think different. We all have to think the same and look at things the same. And that's not what Paul wants. Paul wants unity. So we're on the same side. We don't need more bickering and envy and fighting and arguing and heresy hunting and calling each other names and making videos about each other. For cheap views and low quality clicks we need unity in the body of christ so maybe you and your pastor don't agree on something that's not a salvation issue you could say it's all right we're still unified we still have the same goal and we're still on the same team friend let me just say this teams argue. Teams fight. There's no basketball, baseball, football, whatever sport you watch, team that doesn't get in disagreements, that doesn't get in fights, that doesn't argue. We still do, but at the end of the day, when we're on the field, I'm still on your team. We're still moving the ball forward. Now, some of you, you say you're on our team, but you're running the ball down the wrong way. You're scoring goals in the enemy's basket saying that you're on my team. So you need to decide what side you're on. Are you on a side that brings unity, love, clarity? Passion, boldness, the power of God, or are you on the side that brings envy, contention, division, strife? Are you the one that's the accuser? You accuse everybody else of being wrong. You're the only right one. Are you the one that loves on those that disagree with you? If it's not a salvific, a salvation issue, we love each other. We're on the same side. There's people I 100% disagree with, but it's not a salvation issue. It's not a core doctrine. And so, Hey, still friends, still on the same team, not gonna call you a heretic, not gonna make a video about you, not gonna slander you, not gonna defame your character. I appreciate you, keep moving the ball forward, I'll keep moving the ball forward. The eye doesn't say to the hand, we don't need you. The hand doesn't say to the foot, we don't need you. We're all different body parts. Don't be mad that somebody is a different part than you. Just because they're not an eye like you. In my early immature days, I thought, well, if everyone doesn't preach like me, they must not be effective. If everyone doesn't believe what I believe, and you know what I realized? We're all different body parts. I'm a different body part. And just because I'm not the same body part as you doesn't make me wrong. Just because you're not the same body part as me doesn't make you wrong. You're reaching people I don't reach. I'm reaching people you don't reach. That's maturity and that's unity. Again, not uniformity, unity. It's not that we all agree on the same thing. We're never gonna have everybody agreeing on the same thing. It's that we can have conversations, get together, one mind and in one accord, seeking the same goal. The same goal is the Bring people closer to God. Philippians two, three, through four. Look at this. Oh, I love this. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests but also the interest of others. So Paul is saying this: be humble. This is the essence of humility. Is this not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less? It's preferring others needs over yourself. So you don't I'm just a nobody. I'm not no That's not what humility is humility says I prefer you over I or over myself and I'm gonna help you before I help me and I'm gonna wash your feet before I try to get my feet feet washed C.S. Lewis said this if anyone would like to acquire humility. I can I think tell them the first step the first step is is to realize that one is proud and a biggish step too. At least, nothing whatever can be done before it. If you think you're not conceited, then you're very conceited indeed. Oh, that's strong. What he's saying is if you don't think you're proud and conceited and you think that you're this humble person, there's a good chance you're not. Okay, developing humility is not waking up and saying, I'm gonna be humble today. It's saying I'm gonna meet the needs of others today. When you meet the needs of your kids, when you meet the needs of your wife, when you meet the, meet the needs of your church, when you have a volunteer servant lifestyle, laying your life down for others, everybody else takes precedence. I eat last. Are you, guys, are you guys with me? Type one if you're catching what I'm saying. I'm last. Everybody else is first. I'm not less than. I'm not some, oh, I'm just a nobody. You know, it's all a God. It's not me, brother. That's false humility. But I'm preferring you over I'm preferring me. That means I'm gonna sacrifice so that you can hear the word of God so that you can experience God and I'm gonna take the backseat, that's true humility. It's saying others' needs are gonna get met over mine. Philippians 2, five through eight. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, look at this, this is Jesus, okay? Let this mind in you, which was also in Christ, so the mind of Christ now be in you, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So Paul says you want the best example of humility. And then he talks about Jesus, Jesus' willingness to give advantages and divine privileges and take on the form of a bond servant. Look at this, Jesus leaving divinity leaving, I don't want to say divinity, leaving eternity. He didn't leave divinity. I got to be careful what I say here. Cause there's a teaching going around saying he's not divine. He was fully man. He was fully man, but he was also fully God simultaneously. Jesus was divine. So he left eternity to enter humanity, subjected himself to a womb. Think about this eight to nine months, the son of God, God incarnate puts himself in a womb and subjects himself to parents to being born of a virgin i mean think about jesus's parents having to discipline him like imagine and i'm just being fictitious and i'm saying this is not biblical i'm just giving you a thought here okay before you clip this i have to be very careful here but imagine jesus doesn't clean his room and you're mary and joseph and you're like should we spank him i mean how do you spank god how do you put jesus in his room i mean jesus humbles himself this is what paul is saying to the likeness of a man subjects himself to a womb gives up his divine privileges but not his divinity and through all his time on earth as a human he didn't leave his divine nature behind only his divine rights as the son of god so he's willing to obey the father and subject himself to limitations that every human faces and the greatest limitation was he faced death And he willfully gave his life. Nobody took his life, but he laid his life down. One commentator said this. Jesus was selfless in making such a huge sacrifice. It's only an adequate comparison, but from a human standpoint, it would be like someone losing their sight. Okay, you got to track what the commentator here. Somebody would lose their sight, their hearing, their ability to move, and their ability to feel. Until we've lost something that we take for granted, we can't imagine the loss but Jesus willingly sacrificed his abilities to have his needs met in a supernatural ways. He was hungry and tempted in the wilderness. He grew tired. He felt the sting of rejection. He cried at the death of a friend. He humbled himself by taking on our human nature for one grand purpose to reveal the father's love through sacrificing his own life on the cross. So like imagine losing your sense of smell, hearing, ability to move all these privileges you have to be able to live life Jesus loses all of them in a supernatural sense, gives up his divine privileges, makes himself of no reputation, takes on the form of a bond servant, comes in the likeness of man, being found as an appearance of man, and humbled himself even to the point of death. What kind of, what other God would do something like that? That's true biblical humility. John 1, 1 through 14 Jesus becomes a man with the purpose of showing God to people and saving them from their sins Romans 1 2 through 5 Jesus re- resurrection confirms that he was God and man 2nd Corinthians 8 9 Jesus left the riches of heaven to encounter the poverty of Earth 1st Timothy three sixteen, Jesus was affirmed as God and man in many different ways Hebrews two fourteen, as a man Jesus death Jesus defeated death's control through his own death and resurrection 1 John 1 1 through 3 many testify to Jesus's form as a human with divine characteristics Philippians 2 9 through 11 therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name okay so God gave him this name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and that who is it of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look at this. Because the name of Jesus is so great that the Father gave him the name, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. um, uh, Not just in heaven, but under the earth, the Bible says. Every demon, every spirit, every demonic power under the earth, above the earth, in heaven, no one will escape from declaring with their tongue that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father that jesus is the king of kings this is incredible let's get some ones in the chat for this angels fallen angels every human every ruler every king every dictator every celebrity that has mocked him that has ridiculed him that has said he's worthless that he has no power every atheist that has mocked him that has denied him out of their mouth comes he is the king of kings He is the Lord of Lords. Every knee shall bow on earth, under the earth, and above the earth. One day, oh, I feel the Holy Spirit. Our Savior will receive all the adoration he did not receive while he was on earth. Those that rejected and mocked him, spit on him. He's going to receive all the adoration one day, once and for all. He will be declared of the mouth of everyone that hated him, King of Kings and Lord of Lords finally getting the adoration he deserves and graham lots said this whoever or whatever sets themselves against christ will find themselves sooner or later on their faces before him that is strong every person that denied him shook their fist at him rejected him mocked him used his name in vain and made fun of him for their own gain will one day bow down before him and declare he is the king he is the lord every single knee is gonna bow. So the question has to become, for all of you listening in the chat, are you going to bow now or are you gonna bow later? Now you may click off this broadcast and be a raging atheist and serve, spend your life denying God, saying God is not real, I hate God, curse at God like I used to do 12 years ago. But here's the, here's the truth, and I, I, these words will echo throughout eternity. You will bow, you will bow. Do not live in hell for a trillion years with those words. I should have bowed when i was able to you can bow while you're able to or you will be forced to bow because one day every single that's a promise are you threatening me no that's not a threat that's a promise every single knee will drop every single knee will bow every ruler every king every dictator every warlord every prince every prince every queen everyone on earth and everyone below the earth and everyone above the earth no one's escaping this will bow their knee so I'm, I'm choosing to bow now. So it's bow now or bow later. But one day, friend, you will bow before the one that has fire in his eyes. Well, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter if you believe. You might not believe in speed limits, but go ahead and speed and see what happens. It doesn't matter what you believe. Your belief or you denying the fact that you'll bow one day doesn't bring this in or out of existence. Your beliefs don't change anything. One day you're going to bow. Philippians 2, 12 through 13, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, in my absence, work out, look at this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. This is interesting. And I want to spend some time on this because we've all heard this work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does it mean? It's interesting that Paul doesn't say obey in my presence, but he says, obey God even more in my absence. In other words, it's easy to live right around a pastor or a leader or Christian friends. Like, I hate to say this. What verse are we in? We're in uh, Philippians 2, 2, 12 through 13. I hate to say this, but it doesn't matter how you live at church. How do you live when no one is around? How do you live when nobody is watching? How do you live when you're not at church? So the goal is not to live right for an hour on Sunday. The goal is do I live right the other 167 hours during the week? Like we teach you, uh, our goal is like, how do we get them to praise at church? How do we get them to worship at church? How do we get them to live right at church? None of that matters. It doesn't matter if I worship right at church. It matters how do I worship on Monday through Saturday when nobody's around? So Paul says, don't just obey in my presence. Like imagine hanging out with me. You, of course, you're not going to cuss around me course, you're not going to talk dirty around me because you look up to me you know i'm a preacher a minister of the word and so you would be like okay i wouldn't watch this around isaiah i'd be careful how i talk around isaiah i'd be careful what i listen to around isaiah you're not going to get in the car with me and then put on some secular music like you've already seen all my videos where i'm like we shouldn't be listening to second so you're not going to act that way and so you'd act a certain way let's just all be honest you'd act a certain way around your pastor and this is what paul says don't just do that around me Don't just do that in my presence he says do that in my absence when i'm not around you you should do that you should live a certain way now if you're going to act a certain way around me okay whether that's act more holy or more righteous what about around god how should you act around jesus and although he lives in us i think we've gotten detached from this idea that god lives in us so now we argue well maybe it's okay to drink maybe it's okay to listen to that or watch that we have all these people arguing about Everything, all of it could be answered in this. Jesus is living in me through the person of the Holy Spirit. Would the Holy Spirit watch that? Would Jesus decide to watch that? And the answer is no, 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 no. So then why am I doing it? Forget about your pastor. Forget about Isaiah. Jesus is in you. So why would you, that's why the Bible says, if you, you, sexual sin is like taking Jesus to see a prostitute. Would you take Jesus to see a prostitute? Of course not but the Bible says that's what you do when you commit sexual sin because your body doesn't belong to you. Come on, help me in the chat. Is that a good word? Say amen. Your body doesn't belong to you. So when you commit sexual sin, your body's being joined to a prostitute the Bible says and Jesus and you are one. So this is the reality friend is you got to take this serious. You got it. You can't take this lightly. Learn to live like Jesus all the time i don't just want to do it when my pastor's around i want to do all the time now what is paul saying with work out your salvation paul is not saying and i want to take my time here earn your salvation but what he is saying is take your salvation serious one of the dangers and there's many and i'll do a video on this and make you some of you more mad one of the dangers of once saved always saved and if you don't know what that is that basically means you can't lose your salvation i don't believe that i believe you can forfeit your salvation you have the free will to leave Leave Jesus. And the Bible talks about that over and over again. Once saved, always saved. One of the dangers is it tells you you don't really have to take your salvation that serious. Because, you know, once you get it, and the way you get it for them is like, oh, just pray a prayer and have Jesus come in your heart. That's not a biblical, just so you know. I know there's a lot of new people tonight. There's 2,500 people watching this. I got to be clear on this. Jesus did not come to earth, say, here I am, guys. I left eternity to enter humanity. And they say, what are we supposed to do now that you're on the earth? Jesus did not say, all right, I want every one of you to repeat this prayer. Jesus, come in my heart. Jesus never said that. Not one time did Jesus teach that or any disciples ever say that. we know what Acts 2.38, they said, what must we do to be saved? Peter said, repent and be baptized. Repent, that's what you must do. Turn from your wicked ways, receive Christ, put your faith in him. That's what you do. So once saved, always saved gives false assurance. And this, this verse here would not even make sense, sense if you're once saved, always saved, because why would I need to work out my salvation? There's no reason to work on it because I already have it. I have it forever. This idea of you get salvation and you can never lose it. It's just a one-time thing. is not biblical. Now, let me be clear on this. So we don't earn it. Ephesians 2, eight. For by grace you've been saved through faith. So how have I been saved? For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift from God not of works lest anyone should boast so we don't work to earn our salvation so what in the world is Paul talking about Ephesians 2 8 Paul says you didn't work for it it's a gift of God no one can boast you've been saved through faith by grace so here's what he's saying we work out our salvation by living the way God wants us to live and that is being conformed to the image of Christ that's the end goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ if once saved one always saved was biblical which it isn't why would Paul say work it out with fear and trembling Why would the Bible say that you can be removed as a branch? Why would the Bible say there's going to be a great apostasy or a great turning away? How can you turn away from something you've never experienced? Again, all these verses make no sense. If you are once saved, always saved. So then he says this. Now, here's the key to the verse. He says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So it's God working in me, empowering me to live like Christ, to work out my salvation. It's the power of God in me to work out my salvation. Salvation is not a one-time transaction. It's a thing that we are working out. We are saved while also being saved. So I'm being saved right now. It's unto salvation, unto those that believe. It's not a one-time event where I'm just saved and I can live like however I want. It's I'm being saved. I'm in the process of sanctification. I'm in the process of being saved. So here's the beauty. So we work out our salvation with what? Fear and trembling not a joke. It's not a game. Here's the beauty. God is working in us to help us work it out. Like if you're working out at the gym, okay, now don't get all crazy on me. I've been saying I'm going to get in the gym for two months. I've had a gym membership for two months and I've been so busy, but here's what I've been busy with working for God. So don't judge me here. I have not gotten the gym. Like I've wanted to, I used to work out. So I know a little bit about, even though you see my skinny wrist and you say, you've never been to the gym. I have. Okay. It's like, this is the way I could explain it. Explain it. If you're bench pressing and you close your eyes as you're benching you know your pb your personal best see i know a little bit about the gym okay you're bench pressing and you close your eyes and you're pushing on the weight as hard as you can with your eyes closed and you go wow and all of a sudden it gets really easy and you go man this is easy and you're pushing with your eyes closed and you're on your eighth rep but then you open up your eyes and you realize somebody's spotting you and lifting the weight for you then you then you go wait a minute I was pushing the weight and I was working out my salvation, but somebody else, somebody else was helping me accomplish the goal. What Paul is saying is God is spotting you. God's helping you push the weight. So yes, it's you working out. Are you guys catching this tonight? As Pagani would say, did you catch it? (laughs) Did you catch it? You're working out but it's God spotting you and really God's doing most of the work it's like you feel good you're like oh I'm really working on my salvation but God says I'm the one spotting you I'm the one doing the work I'm the one pushing the weight for you now the Greek word for work is energy and it means to energize or to work effectively and the English word energy and energize comes from the word work so again the work out your salvation is this God is energizing us to work out our salvation God is empowering us did you catch it come on God is energizing and empowering me to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. So I don't take it lightly. I don't just sit on the couch all day saying, "Oh, well, you know, I'm saved now. I can live however I want." God's power is energizing me to live more like Christ. God's spotting you. That's what I'm trying to say for all my my gym rats here in the chat. God is spotting you, and God is doing the God is doing the heavy lifting. I'm just going through the motions, pushing it and praying and fasting and doing all the stuff. Philippians chapter 2 verses 14 through 16. Oh, it's about to get hot in here. Do all things. Let me say it again for those of you sitting in the back. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you might become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I may not run in vain or labored in vain that is heavy we got a lot to cover here this is what paul says oh man i feel so convicted do all things without complaining and disputing and this is so hard because our nature is the flesh is complain paul says do all things without complaining so does that mean take out the trash does that mean going shopping with my wife for groceries if i need to does that mean preferring others above myself does that mean doing tasks at work i don't want to do Does that mean being a good student? Does that mean having your in-laws over that you don't like because it's the right thing to do? And by the way, I love my in-laws, truly do, I'm blessed. I'm just saying an example, some of you don't. Does that mean having a good attitude and not being arrogant and selfish and prideful? Does that mean you're not in a bad mood all the time? And Some of you always see the worst in everybody. You always see the, oh, it's getting hot in here. You always see the worst in every situation. Every time a situation comes up, you default to what's wrong with that person or the negative, because in every facet of life—and I'm, I'm using my words carefully—there's a negative and a positive in every facet of life. There's a there. You could either see the negative side or the positive side. Some of you default to the negative side. You're just ne- you're just negative Nancy. I'm sorry if your name's Nancy but you're always complaining. You're always disputing. You, that's what you sound like. You sound like a broken record. I should have had my voice changer on here. I'll put it on later. You're just murmur, You're complaining about everything. Do you know what kept the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years? Complaining. Do you know why some of you are in your sixties and seventies and still haven't done what God's called you to do? And I know it's hard truth tonight. I haven't been live in 10 days. I'm coming at you strong. You complain you dispute, you fight, you're just negative. You drain the life out of people. And Paul says, do all things, not some things, not biblical things, not spiritual things, but all things. Now the word complaining is the same Greek word that's used to describe the Israelites grumbling in the wilderness during their wanderings. It basically carries the idea of inward questionings, like the dissatisfied mutterings of a group who distrust their leader. That's what it means it means i don't trust my leader so i grumble about things in life now that's one word the other greek word disputing and i won't even try to pronounce these greek words because i'll embarrass myself is describes vocal arguing and behind these is the idea of questioning another person's integrity with suspicion or doubt and the devil gets us to doubt what god has for us the plan that that god has for us so this is what complaining says i'm staying on it because it's important Okay. Don't look at your husband or your wife. Like he's talking to you. I'm not talking to your husband or wife. I'm talking to you. Let me look right at the camera here. I'm not talking to your husband or wife. I'm talking to you. You're the one that God is talking to you. You're the one that God is working on. Complaining is saying, write this in the chat. Complaining is saying, God, I don't trust your plan for my life. That's what you do when you complain. This is with the children of Israel. Oh, we had it better in Egypt. Oh, I missed the leeks and the onions and I missed the quail. What are you talking about? You were a slave in bondage with a taskmaster. And you're over here going, I missed the onions and the leeks. I missed the food in Egypt. You're complaining. But what about the chains and the bondage? Look, now maybe you're not where you want to be, but praise the Lord. You're not where you used to be complaining. Oh man, I got to say it is demonic. It's demonic. Complaining's demonic. It's saying, God, I don't trust you. What worship is to God complaining is to the devil. The devil loves complaining because it keeps you out of your purpose. And it's, it's so easy to be negative. I could pick the negative out of anyone, anything. It's, it's the easiest way to go, but what takes real faith and real grace and real power of God, love and peace and joy and everything God gives us is to see the good out of bad situations. This is what Jesus did. He pulled gold out of people. He saw a tax collector and didn't see the tax collector. He saw an apostle. He saw the prostitute, didn't see her sin, but saw who she was going to be, which was an evangelist. This is what worship is to God. Complaining is to the devil. If God, and let me show you this. If God orders my steps, some of you need to share this. If God orders my steps, complaining says, God, I don't like what you ordered. Imagine you go to a restaurant and, got, and you say, God, you can order for me. Hey, you know, you ever told your husband or wife, or oh, just order for me. You know what I like, whatever, get whatever you want. Surprise me. So God says, okay, I'm going to order for you. Cause I order your steps. That's what the Bible says. Everything of your life has been planned out in a book before you were even born. Every page is been written. The Bible says, and you, God orders you something and the waiter brings it to you and you go, hey, I don't like that. God goes, you don't like what I ordered you. God, God says, I know you better than anybody else. And I know what you need and what's good for you. And you don't like that. That's what complaining says. If God directs my path, complaining says, I don't like how you direct me. I don't like where you're guiding me or leading me. Now, my biggest pet peeve if I have type one of this is your biggest pet peeve is when my kids complain, like we'll go take them to do the funnest thing in the world. And they still have a reason to complain. I can't stand complaining. I'm always like, don't complain. Don't say you're bored and don't complain. My biggest pet peeves. So God says, that's how I feel when you complain. Like if I get irritated when my kids complain, how much more does God get irritated when we're constantly complaining about everything? And oh man, it's so annoying. Paul says, if you live like this without complaining and grumpy and murmuring, you can be blameless and harmless. So basically people don't point fingers at you right now. People point fingers and say, you're no different than me. So because you complain, like I complain, you gossip, like I gossip, You're bitter. Like I'm bitter. So they point their fingers. So what Paul is saying is do this so that they can't blame you being blameless is not being perfect it's living a life. So the world can't say you're just like me. You're no different. So he says, if you live this way, blameless and harmless, people will see the light of Christ, but being a complainer and constantly arguing makes God look bad. That's what Paul is saying. He goes, let your light shine for the world to see. So that I, and this is why it all comes down to this. Look at this. So I might rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Two things, he says, will happen to some of us. This is scary stuff, y'all. You get to the finish line of life. You cross the finish line. You breathe your last breath and you stand on judgment day and the entire race was in vain. You finish your life after all that you did for God, all the labor you did, and it didn't matter. It was all in vain. Why? Because you constantly complained and you didn't let your light shine. Man, I I look at all the work I've done and I'm not boasting. And if I do boast, Paul says, boast in Christ. 12 years I've labored for God. And say I live to be 80. I'm 31 right now. 50 more years. 62 years. Yeah, that's right. 60 60 plus years. I'll, I'll lay on my deathbed and say, 60 years I served the Lord and I labored for him. And imagine standing before God on judgment day and God saying, 60 plus years of labor was in vain you crossed the finish line but like the gold medalist that was taking steroids that cheated he gets the gold medal and then only for him to get his gold medal taken away because he was disqualified he crossed the finish line but he broke the rules and was disqualified this may be some of us on judgment day the lord says your labor was in vain and your race was in vain you're disqualified none of it mattered because you lived your life complaining, bitter, and doing things that did not bring glory to me and shining your light in vain. I, Guys, I really want to be real about this. I really want to cross the finish line and the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's rest. I don't want to hear well done. I don't want to hear depart from me. I never knew you. I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. Like what will the conversation on judgment day be like? Will it be you hid your talents or will it be well done, good and faithful servant? Philippians 2 17 through 18. Yes. And if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason. You also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is saying, I don't want you to feel bad about me being in prison. Don't feel guilty about the persecution. Now they might've thought Paul's out preaching and Paul wouldn't be in prison. If Paul was preaching to us, but what Paul is saying is don't feel bad. Rejoice with me just like I rejoice with you. Even though I'm in prison, rejoice with me. I, and I don't, I don't want to compare myself to Paul because the sacrifices I've made are nothing compared to what Paul has made. Paul's talking about death here, shipwreck, stoned, beat, okay? I'm talking about like missing my kids' birthdays, which I do often because I'm traveling and preaching. People say, oh, I feel so bad you missed your kid's birthday. Oh, I feel so bad you had to, you know, not sleep or whatever these things are. And don't feel bad. Don't feel bad for me that I get to preach the gospel. There's nothing more important than reaching people for the gospel. So it's like, I know it's so light what I'm telling you, but what's so heavy is Paul says, don't feel bad that I'm in chains, but rejoice with me even in my chains. Philippians 2, 19 through 24. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, speaking of Timothy, that as a son, his father, he served me in in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me, but I trust in the Lord that I myself might come also. So we don't know a lot about Timothy. We know that he was born in Derby or Lystra, uh, which is now the present day Turkey. His mother was Eunice, was a Jew and his grandmother was Lois. We don't know his father's name, but we know his father was Greek. Since Timothy had not been circumcised, that would indicate that he was raised and educated in the ways of Greeks. Um Eunice or Lois taught him about the scriptures. We don't know a lot though. We don't know exactly when he believed, but we know that Paul met him on his second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16 refers to him as a certain disciple who is named timothy okay one commentator said this about timothy timothy was not consumed with helping people he was consumed with the interests of jesus whatever was on jesus's mind was on timothy's mind jesus is consumed with helping people so that's what timothy did but helping people was not the goal jesus was his goal the byproduct of attaining his goal was helping others as an overflow of his fr- friendship with christ so the goal was not helping people, it was being in relationship with Christ, and the helping people was an overflow. So that's kind of what we know about Timothy. Philippians 2, 25-30. Yet I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all, and he was distressed because you had heard he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost until death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I sent him more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice. And then I may be less sorrowful, receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking service towards him. It's very wordy, but basically Paul is saying, there's a guy named Epaphroditus that I sent to you. He was sick in body, but here's what I want you to note of all of that. When he says to send you Epaphroditus, he's sick in body, but not out of the will of God. Now, sometimes we think when sickness happens, which Epaphroditus had sickness, we think that when sickness happens that we're out of the will of God. But I want to tell you just because you have cancer, diabetes, nerve damage, lung disease, blood disease, heart disease, whatever disease you might have, it does not mean that you're out of the will of God. And sometimes sickness is what brings us closer to God. Sometimes that's a wake-up call for me to cling to Christ. But I want you to know that Being sick does not mean you're out of the will of God. So don't sit there and go, what did I do wrong? Because now I'm sick in body. That does not mean you're out of the will of God. Okay, let's move quickly here. Philippians chapter three. If you're following Philippians chapter three, verse one. Finally, my brethren. Now there's six chapters, I believe here, but Paul says, finally, some people think that this would be his last chapter, but that he added more later, by by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but let's just go here. Finally, my brethren rejoice in the Lord from For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. So Paul is never at a loss for word, but Paul doesn't mind repeating himself. He's already told the Philippians four times to rejoice, and by the time he's finished with the book, he'll say it three times more, and a total of eight times including this verse. So what he's saying is review never hurts. Going over the same thing does not hurt, especially when it's essential Christian doctrine. In a generation that always needs something new, and I fall under this pressure... I always feel like I got to have a new teaching. I got to bring you guys a new word. I got to have a new this. And after 900 videos, I, I spend hours going, what can I talk about? Like I've made 930 videos. What could I possibly say? I've streamed for over 700 hours. Think about that. I've been live for over 700 hours. What could I possibly say? But here's what I have to remember. Review is good. Christians are the only ones that don't like review. If you go to college, you review the same thing over and over and over again. Review is not a bad thing. So Paul's saying, man, I'm going to give you a review of this. I've already told you eight times, but he says being tedious is not a bad thing. It's for your safety. It's for you to be safe. So we do need to repeat teachings, go back over doctrine, go back over things I've taught in the past, reteach them, retell them. There's new people. There's several hundred of you that have never been on a live stream. But in my mind, I'm like, well, at the end of 2020, I already taught that. It's like, okay, well, it's three, almost three years later, two years later, teach it again. So review is good. It's not a bad thing. Paul says, I know I'm reviewing. I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but it's important. Philippians 3, 2 through 3. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are of this for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. So one of the basics of the Christian faith Paul wants us to review is the fact that we don't earn our salvation through circumcision. And this is something we've talked about extensively on the channel. Paul's battling these religious people that kept saying, you gotta be circumcised, you gotta do this to earn it. And Paul is saying we don't earn it. We're not human doings, we're human beings. We don't have to do something, we just have to be. So, we're not earning it by keeping the law, by being circumcised, or by becoming perfect. He kept coming into contact with these Christians that wanted to add on to the free gift of God. You're like, oh yeah, receive Jesus by faith, through grace, all that, but you also have to do this. Paul says, stop adding things on. You don't have to also do this. You're saved by faith. Okay, all the other stuff, great, but that's not how you're saved. So Paul knew that he, these people in Philippi were being bombarded with false teachers that tell them you need to be circumcised to be saved and you only be saved if you're a Jew. Gentiles cannot be saved. So therefore, if you want to know God, you have to do an unlimited amount of Jewish laws and all of these ceremonies, all of these sacrifices to identify as a Jew and then be circumcised. And Paul is saying that has nothing to do with salvation. You don't need to do any of that. And Paul calls them dogs, evil people that we're teaching of the mutilation of the circumcision, circumcision, true worship or heart circumcision comes from rejoicing in what Jesus did on the cross, giving Jesus the gore he deserves. And I want you to notice Paul's not, doesn't call anyone out by name. Why? Cause he's attacking the idea, not the person. These days we attack the person. Paul is attacking the idea. When Paul called these teachers dogs, he wasn't writing about like your dog that you love. He was talking about dogs that were scavengers who would roam around in packs, eating whatever they can find. And as a result, they were unclean animals because they ate foods that Jews were forbidden to eat. So he was calling these Jewish teachers dogs because they were traveling in packs, teaching false doctrine and, um, preying on weak believers. They were dangerous, evil teachers that Paul said. And Paul says, we need to have a circumcised heart, which is the cutting away of rebellion and of a disobedience. And Paul names three evidences that a person's heart is circumcised. Here we go. Three evidences. Number one, you worship God in spirit. That's true evidence that you worship God in spirit. Number two is you you rejoice in Christ Jesus. You recognize that Jesus alone saves. Jesus alone, nothing added to it. And then number three, you have no confidence in the flesh. So you don't put your confidence in a physical act of circumcision or, or obeying the law, but you put your faith in Jesus. Philippians three, four through six. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church concerning the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. And this is what Paul is saying. Okay. I'm going to keep it simple for you. If anyone can claim salvation through works. I'm the guy that can do it. I did all the right things. I had a perfect pedigree. I'm the guy that has all of the resume to do this. I have impeccable deeds. He's a Jew. He's born a Hebrew son of Hebrew parents. He was born into the prestigious tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was a Pharisee and he persecuted the church in Acts 9, 1 1 through 2. Paul's breathing threats, getting Christians murdered. Paul says, if anybody can say we're saved by works, I'm the guy to say it. And I'm telling you, what is he telling us? Philippians 3, 7 through 8. Look it. But that these things were gained to me, I've counted them loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. For whom I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. So Paul is painting a picture that we all think once I get this thing I'll get happiness okay whether it's a car a girlfriend a wife a house kids we all chase the carrot like once I get this I'm gonna fill the void and be happy and Paul says all the stuff I thought was gonna make me happy was empty and vain I literally I literally counted all lost compared to knowing Christ it's rubbish nothing will ever satisfy you but knowing Christ nothing in life this is important okay we're gonna end soon but this is important Nothing in life will fill your void so there's hundreds of you right now listening that you've looked for things to fill your void if I could just get this and here's the thing when you got that you were more miserable than before because you realize what you've been chasing didn't even matter it's all loss because the only thing that will fill your void is Christ. The only thing that will fill your void is relationship with God. That's why guys that win the Super Bowl say the most empty night of their life was the night they won the Super Bowl. That's why guys that win the NBA Finals say the most empty night of my life was the night I won the Finals. That's why movie stars say the night I won the award was the worst night of my life. They've said this over and over. Why? Because I thought once I get that little golden trophy, that means nothing in eternity. Once I get that little trophy where everyone uh, recognizes me because I won an Oscar or I won a Grammy or whatever it was. I was empty because I thought that was what was going to fill my void. And all the work I did was chasing after the pursuit of emptiness. And then I realized only Christ can fill my void. It's all, it's all lost. Paul says none of it matters. All the things I thought were important are rubbish. They're vain. They mean absolutely nothing. Everything I valued before I consider loss and i look back at my life can someone type one in the chat if you feel me tonight i look back on my own life of what i thought was important car career college job it's like it doesn't even matter i consider all of it worthless none of it matters it's all in the past it's all lost now in comparison to knowing christ and the word count carries the meaning of to evaluate to assess he goes i've assessed it all i've looked at it all i've evaluated everything i have and it all it doesn't mean anything and paul had it all in the religious world paul had it all but it's rubbish and the word greek word rubbish is just the same of like food being thrown away because it's useless or contaminated like imagine food goes old in your fridge it's like rotten and old it'll make you sick and you throw it away that's rubbish the greek word is like it's garbage it's poison paul goes oh all this stuff is like poison it's gross it's rubbish like why did i even care about obeying all these laws and being circumcised and being a pharisee and persecuting the church and It's just like so religious. It's not even me. It's like all these things I chased and trying to be number one and gain followers and be rich and wealthy and this and that. And the world is like, it's just meaningless now. He says, compared to Christ, it's rubbish. It's old poisonous food that I'm willing to throw out. I've evaluated it. I've assessed it. It means nothing. Philippians 3, 9 and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which is from God by faith. So Paul says, all the things I tried to do to gain right standing with God. Now, by faith, I attained right standing with God. So I did all those things to gain right standing with God. And none of those things mattered. None of these religious things mattered. He says, but my faith puts me in right standing. If you don't know what righteous means, and I, I got to be sure when I teach these, I don't act like you guys know every term. Righteous, and don't feel bad if you don't know what it means. It means to be in right standing. Like if you ever had a friend where things are weird between you, you're not in right standing. It's like, oh, there's weirdness. But then all of a sudden you have a friend that you're really close with and everything's good. That's being in right standing. So we want to be in right standing. Faith puts us in right standing. All the other stuff, rubbish, throw it out. Philippians 3, 10 through 11, we're almost done. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and by the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul suggests that we know the power of his resurrection. That's number one. That's the power of God in our lives, the fellowship of his suffering. So when we stand up for righteousness, we get persecuted. That's, that's what he's saying. When you stand up for righteousness, you get persecuted and you get to guess what? Fellowship in his suffering. You get to be a part of that. Isn't that great? You get to be a part of the suffering of Christ, the conformity to his death. So by dying to my own selfish desires, I come to know God in the same way he's died because I'm crucified with Christ. I die with Christ. I'm resurrected with Christ. Jesus didn't die. So I don't have to, he died to show me how to put that in the chat. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that I wouldn't have to. He died to show me how to, because Paul says you die with him. You die with him. You become one with him and die with him. And you raise with him in Christ. I've been resurrected. I was, when the tomb rolled away, it was an invitation for me to join him and to be resurrected and to be dead with him and to rise with him again. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I might lay hold hold for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. So here's the one thing Paul does forgetting those things that are behind me. Oh, somebody's about to get set free tonight. And reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So some might look at Paul as the strongest Christian in the New Testament, and Paul says, I have not attained perfection. Paul says, Look at me. You think I'm great? I have not even attained it yet. But I press forward, I press on, forgetting the things behind me and reaching forward to the things ahead. Stop letting the things behind you stop you or hold you back from what are ahead. Like so so many of you in the chat right now, you live in the past. You live at your old failures, your old successes. Now there's two things you live in the past. Old failures, old relationships, old toxic things, And you live going like, oh, I'm so hurt from what they did to me. And you keep living in that. And then, so that's one thing. And then two is your old successes. God, I remember when I was successful, who cares about how you were successful? What are you doing now for God? I don't want to keep looking to the past of one day. You know, it's like, I keep, I always reference this guy. Uncle Rico is like, one day I would have went to state. I should have went to state. It's like, dude, stop living in the past. Like 19, if you're, if all of your testimonies start with, In 19 stop if you're gonna share testimony don't don't start in 1990 1970 the year was 1980 it's like I want to know in 2022 what is God doing in your life now I don't want to live my life in the past like I would have went to state who cares we know that you were the best in the high school we know that you were good and used to be popular whatever God says now Paul goes who cares about all that back there now good and bad The good things you did come on some of you are like man i was so good back in high school you're 60 now you're 40. stop talking about how you were popular in high school forget about the past and then some of you you were wounded or hurt by a boyfriend a girlfriend a pastor a a parent god wants to heal you tonight stop living in your past mistakes press forward we get to press forward we don't have to look back our whole lives we get to look forward a true athlete running a race He's not looking around going, oh, look at that guy run. Look at behind me. He doesn't do that. He looks forward. He doesn't have time to look back. He doesn't have time to, I wonder who's behind me. Who cares who's behind you? You know, God told me, Isaiah, if you want to run this race, stop worrying about what everybody else is doing. Look at how he posts. Look at the videos he makes. Look at the guy back here. Look at the guy up there. Look at who's smaller than me and bigger than me on YouTube. Who cares? My goal is to look forward at the prize. I'm an athlete. I'm running this race. I'm pressing forward tonight leave your past behind in Jesus name Philippians three fifteen through 19 therefore let let us as many as are mature have this mind okay we talked about the mind of Christ earlier but I 'm talking about it more and if anything and if in anything you think otherwise God will reveal this to you nevertheless to the degree that we've already attained let us walk by the same rule let us be of the same mind and that is what the mind of Christ brethren join in following my example and note those who walk as for, for as you us for a pattern as you have us for a pattern i'm sorry i'm getting tongue twisted here as you have us for a pattern for many walk whom i told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross whose end is destruction whose god is their belly whose glory is their shame who set their mind on earthly things okay so i know it sounds complicated paul is saying have the mind of christ have the unity follow my pattern and walk because all these other guys they don't. Now Paul lists four differences between himself and those who claim to be Christian yet teach the wrong things. Their destiny is destruction, meaning they will not go to heaven. Their God is their stomach, meaning they only satisfy their own fleshly needs. They don't care about others. Their glory is in their shame, meaning they prime themselves on gaining salvation through self-effort rather than depending on God's provision of the cross. Their mind is on earthly things, meaning they're not concerned about spiritual growth. They only care about earthly things but what about us so that's them but we have the mind of Christ first Corinthians 2 16 for who has who has understand the mind of the Lord as to instruct him but we have the mind of Christ now Paul talks about the mind of Christ leading up to that in first Corinthians the mind of Christ is sharp contrast to the wisdom of man the mind of Christ brings things that were once hidden now revealed the mind of Christ given to believers through the Spirit of God The mind of Christ cannot be understood by those that don't have the Holy Spirit. The mind of Christ gives believers discernment in spiritual matters. These are all things that Paul talks about the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2 verses 5 through 16. So having the mind of Christ means knowing God's plan and God's desires for those around you. It's thinking like him, being moved by what moves him. Think about this. Before you were saved, you didn't care about what moved God. You didn't care about The things you pray for now the things you care about now you did not care about before you were saved but what happened you got the mind of christ people say isaiah you've lost your mind i have lost my mind i lost my mind when i was born again and i received the mind of christ now my goal is to seek and save that which is lost because that's what luke says is christ's purpose friend you have lost your mind join the club. We've all lost our mind. We now have a heavenly mind. That's the mind of Christ. We don't look the same. We don't talk the same. We don't think the same. We don't act the same. We don't love the same. Our desires aren't the same. Am I preaching to anybody? Our ambitions aren't the same. Now we have the mind of Christ. Our, our mind is not on earthly things, which leads to destruction. Come on. Type one. If you've lost your mind and gained the mind of Christ. So like, why, why do you care so much about what worldly people think? Like, Oh, he's going to think I'm weird. Who cares? He's headed to destruction. The Bible says that all this is foolishness to those perishing. He's perishing. You're not. So follow Christ, walk in the mind of God. You're going to make it. You have the mind of God. You walk in the mind of Christ. Lord, give me your mind tonight. Lord, let me think like you. We're going to pray this in like two minutes, two Pentecostal minutes. I want to love like you. I want to think like you. I'm tired of having the mind of the world. I'm tired of having the mind of the enemy. I'm tired of thinking like everybody else thinks like some of you. And I'm just going to say it. You want your kids to, you know, have a good job and get a good college. And all your desires for your family are the same thing as your neighbors, the worldly people, you you don't have no godly ambitions for them to be missionaries or be preachers or be worship leaders or to serve God or to be godly. This or God, it's like, man, we're just going to sprinkle Jesus on our kid's life. I don't want that. I want my kids to do what God has called them to do. I want them to have the mind of Christ. I want to think about heavenly things and not be consumed with the things of this world. We're done here. Watch. Philippians 3, 20 through 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await wait for the Savior. For the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is also to subdue all things to himself. So we are looking for a time where we will be transformed our citizenship is in heaven i know you guys are very very america and all that stuff and you're so into politics and so into all that america i i have something terrible to tell you you are not a citizen of america you are not a citizen of south africa you are not a citizen of australia you are not a citizen of india you are a citizen of heaven when you were born again you no longer are a citizen of america you are now a citizen of heaven that means God's priority is more important than what's happening in the White House. I hate to tell you, but the White House is not controlling America. I don't need to live my life so worried about politics when God is the one in control and I am a citizen of heaven. Now, I love America. I love the flag. I love all of that. Praise the Lord. But I'll tell you one thing. I bow to one name. I pledge my allegiance to one president. And it is not the president of America, especially right now it is the president of the universe it's the president of planet earth it's the president of the galaxies and that is jesus christ i'm not bowing my knee to biden i mean come on now i'm not bowing my knee to donald trump i'm not pledging allegiance to some man i'm pledging my allegiance to the king of kings to the lord of lords the alpha the omega the beginning of the end the one that was that and is to come the firstborn the one the last lamb the second adam the last adam the one that died for my sins who lives in me now. So I honestly, like, yeah, I would love to have a godly president. I would love to have someone in the White House. That's, But if not, eh, I'm not losing sleep over it because I don't really pledge my allegiance to the president. I pledge my allegiance to not the guy in the White House, but the one on the throne. It's not about the Oval Office. It's about the throne room. He's the one that's calling shots. He's where my citizenship is. And one day, my body is going to be Transformed into his likeness, Romans eight twenty nine, conformed to the image of a son. First Corinthians fifteen forty nine. We bear the image of the heavenly. First John three two. We know that when he is revealed, we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. First Corinthians fifteen forty two. Our bodies will be imperishable, glorious, powerful, and spiritual. First Corinthians fifteen fifty three. Our bodies will be immortal, therefore indestructible, and without pain. Friend, one day, look look at your body right now. Go ahead and look at it. Like, oh, this hurts. That. Listen my neck hurts right now. We, we have this, this perishable body, right? Whatever you don't like about your body, whatever it's breaking down, whatever disease you have, whatever thing that you don't like about your body. This is too short. This is too long. This is too narrow. This is too, my ears are too big, but don't matter. Cause one day you're going to step out of this body. People that have died and come back to life. They say that leaving their body is like slipping off a shoe. You are going to step out of this earthly body shed off this earthly tent this is just a tent this is literally just a tent that when the camping trip's over we're going to take the tent down the tents not the thing it's what's inside the tent that matters this is just we're just passing through friend we're just pilgrims and one day we're going to shed off this earthly body and we're going to be with christ in eternity and that friend is what truly matters but while we're on this earth let us be citizens of heaven let us not worry about what's happening in the culture what so-and-so said oh so-and-so said about me who cares you're not a citizen of hair who cares what they have to say about you you're a citizen of heaven if you're going through pain sickness disease and body one day you will shed out of this body like a snake sheds its skin you will shed out of this body and you will be a new person and you'll be conformed and transformed into the image of a son You'll bear the image of the heavenly. You'll be imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual, immortal, indestructible, and without pain. And that's the promise for the believer. If you're not a believer, you don't have that promise. In fact, if you're not a believer, the Bible says you will have a body made for destruction where you will be in hell, tormented and tortured for a billion years with a body that can't die, with maggots that never die. You'll be eaten by maggots for a trillion years and it'll be like you just got there day one where the worm never stops, The Bible says the maggots eat sweetly on thee or they eat us sweetly in hell. It's no game, it's no joke. You either have a body made for destruction in hell that's designed to regenerate itself so you can be tortured some more or a body made for glory. Well, you will have eternal pleasure, the Bible says, like you've never experienced before. Maybe you've done all the things that release pleasure in your brain. God designed pleasure and one day you will be in a body that has infinitely more pleasure than any earthly body where you'll never have pain where you'll be completely perfect before God worshiping before the throne never spend a second bored, and a trillion years will go by and it's like you just got there learning about God and every time you gaze upon him you'll sing holy 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 as if it's the first time you saw him and you get to choose tonight and I really feel this is real I mean I really feel there's God's tugging on some of you and this is real for many of you right now you're in this place of Who do I serve? And I'm telling you, you can have the mind of the enemy or you can have the mind of Christ. You can have a body made for glory and pleasure and joy and peace, eating at the throne of God, eating at the table of God, or you can have a body made for destruction in a place where there is no God. Say, well, I hate God, He's not real. F God, that's how I was. And guess what? There is a place where there is no God. There is a place where they scream F God for a trillion years of torture and torment. So if you say, I don't want God, I hate God, God, leave me alone. God will leave you alone and you will go to a place that was never made for you. It was made for the devil and his angels and you will spend an eternity in torture and torment. you don't have to go there god does not want you to go there god did not design it for you when god designed it he made it so wicked because it wasn't designed for humans it was designed for the devil it was never god's intent for a human to go there and god doesn't send anyone there people willfully go there and tonight god is saying there is many ways to get there but there's no ways out no exits many entrances but no exits hell is real friend heaven is real and you get to choose tonight i want the mind of christ i want and i know i'm going off on a salvation call this is not some oh just repeat a prayer and have jesus come build a treehouse in your heart no jesus did not do that the sinner's prayer is not biblical this is by faith it's by the grace of god that you repent of your sin And say, God, I'm turning my life around. I'm putting my faith in you and I want to follow and serve you. And I'm going to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. And the power of God is going to energize me. I'm bench pressing, but God's spotting me and God's doing the heavy lifting. I want the mind of Christ. I'm tired of thinking like everybody else. I'm tired of raising my kids like everybody else. I'm tired of having a mind full of pollution and demonic thoughts and ungodly, unclean things. I'm tired of letting the devil live in me rent free. Some of you just need to get tired of letting demons be so comfortable in you. I mean, really, you just need to get tired of being in bondage, being addicted, letting your addictions tell you what to do, letting the devil run your house. You are a spiritual house friend. You are a spiritual house, and there is something living in you. And for many of you, it is not the Holy Spirit. And tonight, I'm coming at you strong because you got to get to a place of brokenness where you cry out. I'm not going to lead you through some weak, watered-down prayer that was made by an evangelist 150 years ago to make it easy to count people that were saved. I'm going to tell you tonight what Peter said in Acts 2.38. It does not get more biblical. Repent and go get baptized. Repent of your sins tonight. Repent of your sins tonight. Turn to Jesus. Stop with this baby, weak, watered-down church thing where you let God babysit you for an hour and you get a 20-minute watered-down sermon from a pastor who doesn't even believe what he's preaching, which we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Tonight, Lord, maybe you're an atheist like I was. You say, Lord, I want to serve you. Lord, I want to follow you. I'm laying it all down. What is it going to cost me, Isaiah? Everything. Absolutely everything. Is it going to be easy? Absolutely not. In fact, the Christian life is marked by difficulty. Now I'm telling you to count the cost. It will be a difficult life, but it'll be the best life you've ever lived because in the difficulty, Christ carries you through. This is the best life you will ever live. Nothing will satisfy you. A Grammy, Oscar, chasing this, attractive girlfriend, attractive wife, a fancy car, a good job. Keep chasing it. Maybe maybe you do need to keep chasing it for a few more years till you get so empty that you turn to God. And And this message will, I hate to say the word haunt you, But will be playing in your mind as you're chasing those things they're never going to satisfy you i'm telling you right now i'm helping you right now they're never going to satisfy you they're never going to please you they're never going to fill your void you were made by design by default with a void in you that only god can fill you have to understand this none of the drinking jack daniels cannot fill that void white claw cannot fill that void i'm telling you marijuana cannot fill that void I'm giving you, before you spend the next 20 years of your life tripping over your own feet, God is the only one that can fill your void. And I chased it, friend. I chased it. I graduated high school at 16. I graduated college at 19 years old. I was getting my whole life ready at 19 and a half. I got radically saved a month before. I got saved, what, three months before I turned 20 years old. I thought I had it all together. All my friends' parents said, I wish my kids were like you. I was successful at my age, at my time. But you know what? I was empty as the rest of them. Had everything I thought mattered completely empty. I and mean, that's where you find yourself tonight. 10-10-2022. 10-10-2022. Some of you will look back 20 years from now and say, that was the night. I was in some live stream. I don't even know how I got there. I was on YouTube or Facebook. I don't even know. I stumbled in this. Somebody popped up on my algorithm, popped up on my feed. And here I am. God is speaking to me. And you have tears in your eyes right now. You want to know why? Because the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. Because the Holy Spirit is reaching you. Because nobody comes to the Father except for when the Spirit draws them. And the Holy Spirit right now is why I'm taking 10 minutes giving this call. The Holy Spirit is drawing you, not to pray some prayer, but to revolutionize your life where you die and you're born again. Born again. A new person. Every mistake you've made wiped off the face of the earth. God says, I'll throw that in the sea of forgetfulness and remember no more. Friend, do do you realize... The, the opportunity you're getting tonight. Do you realize the privilege? I'm not giving it to you. The gospel gives it to you. Imagine all the bad things you've done. Think about this, all the bad things you've done. And then God says, you've broken every law, but guess what tonight? I'm going to pretend none of it happened. And you get to start 10, 10, 2022, as if it was the very first day of your life. Every bad mistake you made, your boss wouldn't do this. Your wife wouldn't forgive you like this. Your coworker would never, you wronged your coworker. You'd never forgive you like this. And the God of the universe, who you've hurt and broken every law, you put him on that cross. says, tonight, thrown in the sea of forgetfulness. My arms are open. I'm going to give you peace and joy and life like you would never had. I really feel the Holy Spirit, so I'm not stopping until he tells me to stop. Imagine this, being excited to get out of bed in the morning. Some of you, the Holy Spirit's showing me, you dread getting out of bed. I, I, I lived like that. Nobody knew. I hated getting out of bed in the morning. I used to sleep until 1, 2 o'clock, and people thought, oh, you just like sleeping? And no, I was miserable no I was depressed I didn't want to live anymore I didn't want to get out of bed anymore I wanted to weigh out I would sleep and lay and lay and lay and toss and turn until one two o'clock in the afternoon this is true I didn't want to deal with life no passion and you know the craziest thing when I got saved was getting out of bed with purpose getting out of bed saying man I got a reason to live friend I want to tell someone in the spirit tonight you have a reason to live God wants you to get out of bed with joy and peace and love no pill can offer you this no medicine can offer you this no family member or friend, only Jesus can offer you this. Tonight, repent of your sin. Father, I pray right now that you would touch the heart of those that are repenting of their sin. I pray, Lord, right now that you would draw them that are in the chat saying, that's me. I pray right now, Lord, that you would release the free gift of salvation. That, Lord, that we would contend, that we would wrestle, that we would repent tonight, God, we would work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I pray over every person listening and encounter with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're listening on audio right now. Guess what? Whether you're in your car at home, doesn't matter. I pray right now, the Holy Spirit, I pray right now, the Holy Spirit would encounter you in Jesus name. The power of the Holy Spirit would be released right now from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. The power of the Holy Spirit would touch you and move in your life. That restoration would come. Baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. Fresh anointing would come right now that you'd feel from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, the power of God resting on you. I command every unclean spirit to leave your body right now in Jesus name. Right now, every demonic spirit, Satan, get your hands off of them in Jesus name. Every unclean spirit, we break it now in Jesus name. We command you to go up and out in Jesus name. Every foul spirit must go. And we pray the Holy Spirit would fill you right now in Jesus' name. Come on, right now. This is the most important part of the broadcast. I just say right now, be filled with the Holy Spirit and power. Let the anointing flow through you. Let the power of God flow through you in Jesus' name. I just pray, be born again. Be born again. Come on, ask Him for the Holy Spirit right now. Ask Him for the Holy Spirit right now. Lord, give us your Holy Spirit. Give us your Holy Spirit. Satan, you're a liar. I identify your lies. I break your lies and ties. We break the root of bondage right now. Addiction, spirit of addiction, come out now in Jesus' name. Come out now. Spirit of depression, come out now in Jesus' name. Come out now in Jesus' name. Come on, the devil recognizes free will. Choose today to serve the Lord. Choose today to serve the Lord. Lord, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. I'm not playing. I'm tired of this. I don't care if you're in a crack house right now. Choose today to serve the Lord. Real conversions, real breakthrough, real deliverance in Jesus name. Being born again. How do I, how do I do this? How do I inherit the kingdom? You must be born again. Romans 1 16. It's the power of God unto salvation, being saved. Satan, you're a liar. Get your hands off him. The Bible says the devil comes when you hear the word, tries to steal the word and prevent you from believing and being saved. I come against that bird, that devil that's trying to steal the word. I come against it now in Jesus name. I come against it now in Jesus name. Every foul spirit must go in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Right now, work on hearts. Come on, let him work on your heart right now. It's okay to cry. It's okay to cry. It's an outward sign of an inward work. Holy Spirit, do the work. Have your way. We break anxiety and fear right now. No fear here in Jesus' name. The blood is against you, Satan. We pray healing in your body. All sickness, all disease. We pray now. Bring healing, Lord. We command it to go in Jesus' name. We command it to go in Jesus' name. If you need healing in your body, put your hand where you need healing. We pray the healing power of God be released in Jesus' name. Not in my name. I have no power, y'all. I have no power. I'm interceding for you tonight. The power is in his name. It's his power, not mine. In Jesus' name, we command your body to come in alignment with the word of God. We say be healed and made whole in Jesus' name. Satan, you have no power. You have no power. Spirit of infirmity, we cast you out now. We break your power now in Jesus' name. Spirit of infirmity, you have no power to cause sickness. All sickness go now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Some of you are going to pray in the Spirit for the first time. Some of you just let that rivers of living water flow out of you. I say be filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. I pray, fill them right now with the Holy Spirit. Fill them right now with the Holy Spirit. Rivers of living water flow. Rivers of living water. Paul said, I wish all of you would pray in the Spirit. I want all of you to pray in the Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, filling people right now that have never prayed in the Spirit. Sambaba kandiya Sandia Thank you, Lord. Fill them with the Holy Spirit. Fill them with the Holy Spirit, Lord. Some of you, it's foolishness. Some of you, you laugh at this. You think it's funny. It's no joke. It's no joke. It's foolishness to you because you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a tenderness to what God is doing. Fill them right now, Lord. I pray fill those. Even those mocking in the chat, I pray, Lord, you fill them with the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, you'd encounter them just like you encounter the mockers in scripture. We come against you, Satan. You are bound. Deception, you're bound. Anxiety, you're bound. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Freedom tonight in Jesus' name. Freedom tonight in Jesus' name. There is power in his name. Come on, you have the Holy Spirit. You know what you get when you receive the Holy Spirit? Acts 1.8, you receive power. You get the power of God when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're not some weak grasshopper. The power of God is released. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiasaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.